0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, I am I am excited, just like Derek is, about today. Um, but I'm excited to have the opportunity to open up God's Word with you again. But first, can, can we just take a second and thank our worship team for how they led us this morning? we just thank them? for such a good job. They've, they've led us to the throne of God. And, and I, I quite honestly am so thankful for these men and women. And um, it does this worship pastor's heart. Well, to to see how we get to be led by such an amazing team of men and women every week, and um, I don't know if some of you understand how good we got it here. <laughs> we got a good team, and that includes the people up here and the people back there. Um, in fact, at the risk of just taking us out of this moment for a second, can everybody turn around and look at what's happening back here for just a second? Smile, guys. Yeah. So these people make this happen every week. That it sounds great. That it's not distracting. Um, and so let, let's thank our tech team as well They, they do a great job So Yeah So I, I'm thankful for how these men and women love both Jesus and this church uh, And they serve Him so well So thank you guys um, th- This morning we're going to continue in the book of Revelation uh, We're going to be in chapter 18 So if you would, uh, in your copy of the scripture Go ahead and start turning to Revelation chapter 18 uh, That's where our text will be today Last Sunday evening, uh, Derek led us through the end of chapter 17, and if you missed that, I would encourage you to go check it out. It's on our Facebook page, and it's on um, our website, uh, and on YouTube, but you could go see the end of chapter 17, and what Derek showed us there was that the demise of Babylon—remember, we've been talking about these two cities over the last few weeks—we have Babylon and Jerusalem— but um, the city of babylon their demise is inevitable and it will come when god says that it's going to come when he says it's, When he gives the word it, The demise will come and this week What we're going to see in chapter 18 is that the time is now Now is the time when the demise of babylon is going to come and so for all that we've read through the book of revelation About the impending judgment of evil and the enemy It's finally here in this text and the interesting thing that we're going to see is that it comes in somewhat of a surprising form, maybe for some of us. What we see here is a series of songs in chapter 18 that we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks. There's a series of songs that are sung by voices from heaven. And Danny Aiken, in his commentary on Revelation, he refers to chapter 18 as a funeral dirge and a song of lamentation and sorrow over the demise and destruction of Babylon, So this is not a celebratory song of victory necessarily, but it's a song that laments the fact that the world was seduced by evil and gave in to the temptation to become sinfully disobedient to God. And what we're going to see in these songs that are sung by angelic voices from above is that God delivers a message both of judgment on Babylon and a message to his followers Uh, In these songs as well. And so I'd like for us, if we could, let's read this passage together. We're going to look at Revelation 18, verses 1 through 8. And if you're able, let's stand together uh, in honor of God's word. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, "'Come out of her, my people,' Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning." Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning shall ne- I shall never see. For this reason, her plague shall come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. And as you sit, let me pray for us this morning. God, may we see in your word today the message that you have for us as your followers. May you be glorified, God, in these words. May we not celebrate at the demise of a worldly system, but may we be thankful for your grace in the midst of it. God, thank you for how you love us. Speak to us today. Holy Spirit, move in this room even now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage today, I think there's four things that we can see. They're going to help us understand the two messages that are uh, given in this passage. The first thing that we see is that Babylon has fallen. If you're taking notes, that's your first point. Babylon has fallen. The day has finally come. God is finally going to do what He has said He will do all along. And He sends the message via an angel from heaven. And I think it would help us if we considered the description of this angel here in verse 1 for just a second. Look at what it says again in verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. So the text says that the angel is coming down from heaven. This angel has been in the presence of God himself, and it comes with great authority and a strong message The beauty and the power of this angel indicates that it's about to introduce a weighty topic, an important matter. The earth is made bright with the angel's glory. We're reminded of the image of Moses when he comes down from the mountain in Exodus, that because he had been in God's presence, his face shines with the glory. And it's the same here. This angel has been in God's presence, and he shines God's glory. The angel reflects the power and splendor of God especially in his authority over earthly matters. So the angel calls out with this mighty voice declaring that Babylon the great has fallen. The impending fall that's been declared all throughout the book of Revelation is now finally here. And the words of the angel here echo the words of the prophet Isaiah from his book. And in Isaiah 21.9, we find these exact words. It says this in Isaiah 21.9. It's not on the screen, just Listen. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. So remember, we've talked about this a couple of times over the last few weeks, but Babylon in the Old Testament was the great enemy of God's people. It was Babylon that sent Judah into exile. Babylon was the head of the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. Babylon was the lion in Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. And even though Babylon was destroyed in 539 BC, it became the type and pattern for kingdoms that are opposed to God. Any city that sets itself up in opposition to God becomes a Babylon of sorts, and it will be judged. And it is such a certainty that God will do this. It's such a certainty that God will judge the Babylons of the world that it can be mentioned in past tense, even though it's a future event. It's so sure that we can say Babylon has fallen because it will happen. The angel reports that the city of Babylon will become the home of demons and unclean spirits, that foul and unclean birds and animals will dwell there. And what the picture that we have here is that this once- thriving city that was blowing and going has become totally desolate. The great city will be reduced to nothing. The, the image that comes to my mind, and I, I watch too many movies, but I, it's the image that comes to my mind is like after the zombie apocalypse has happened and they show some major city and everything's just overgrown and there's nothing going on there, right? That's the image that I like to put here, is that it's become overgrown and desolate and nothing... Uh, Of life is happening there And the thing is We're not just told that the city becomes desolate We're told why the city becomes desolate Look at what it says again in verse 3 For all the nations have drunk the wine Of the passion of her sexual immorality And the kings of the earth have committed Immorality with her And the merchants of the earth Have grown rich from the power Of her luxurious living The Fundamental reason for Babylon's judgment Is that Babylon has led the nations of the earth to drink the wine of her immorality. The nations, the kings, the merchants of the earth have all taken part in this immoral living that she has led. And having been seduced into this incredible sin, they're willingly taking part in it. The angel saying that the nations, the kings, and the merchants of the earth will be destroyed along with Babylon for freely participating in this incredible sin. The luxury and wealth that the nations, kings, and merchants have all willingly tied their fate to was provided to them, and those things have become idols for them. And so not only is Babylon in, uh, in this passage being set up as the kingdom that opposes God, but it's also leading the people of God astray to be uh, involved in idol worship. So we must stay on guard to not allow the trappings of this world to become idols in our own lives— And it happens so subtly, so subtly. And it can be difficult to break away from because it's very easy for something that we think is a fun thing to become an ultimate thing in our life. And we devote all of our time, all of our attention, all of our effort goes into serving that one thing. And very quickly, we find ourselves making an idol out of that thing, whatever it may be. But God shows grace towards his people, amen? God shows grace toward us. And we see that in the next verse. Look at verse 4 again. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. The second thing that we see in this passage is that God's people are called out. God's people are called out. Verse 4 introduces a second voice From heaven, and it's presumably another angel speaking. It's speaking from heaven, signaling that there is some transcendent authority that is attached to this voice, just like the first one. This time, however, the voice is speaking not in judgment of uh, the people of Babylon, but rather the voice is speaking to the people of God, those who have remained faithful to Jesus. It's a call for the people of God to come out from Babylon and separate themselves from the sinful behavior that runs rampant in the city. The theme of this message is more than just physically fleeing from Babylon, it means that they must get out or they will be destroyed with those who do not follow after Christ. Those who choose to sin like Babylon will face the same judgment as Babylon. What we really have here in verse 4 is a call to holiness. You'll remember in Scripture, we are called to be holy as God is holy. So the people of God in this verse are to separate themselves from the things of the world and flee evil desires that are being championed by Babylon. Otherwise, they will share the same judgment and the same condemnation that is set for Babylon. As followers of Christ, I want to say something to you that you're going to say, well, yeah, Jason, we know that, but we have to be reminded of it from from time to time. As followers of Christ, we cannot participate in the idolatry of this world. We cannot forsake Jesus. We cannot give our allegiance or even a fraction of our allegiance to anything in this world. Now, this is not a call to become a monk who lives in a cave disconnected from the world around us. Rather, it's a call to stand firm in our trust in the Lord in the face of the allure, to be unfaithful and to chase after sinful disobedience. Because I can promise you that that's going to be in your face every day. The allure and the seduction to want to be disobedient to the commands of God is going to be before us each and every day. And God is calling us to stand firm against that. And one of the most beautiful things about this verse in particular Is that even here at the very end At the very end of time We see the grace of God shining through God is under no obligation to offer this final chance to turn for his people He's not bound to offer grace or another chance However, God's covenant love for his people Compels him to offer one final chance To turn from sinful evil desires and back toward him with sure judgment just around the bend, God calls his people one final time asking them to repent. Unfortunately, this will be the final offer of God's grace. The judgment that is to come is sure, and quite honestly, it's fully warranted, and we're going to see why in these next verses. The the reason that the people of God are called out is because there is great danger ahead if they remain associated with the city of Babylon. Look at verse 5. It says, Her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. The third thing that we see in this passage is that the judgment of Babylon is warranted. The judgment of Babylon is warranted. The judgment that's coming for Babylon is warranted because her sins have reached heaven. Her sins are remarkable here because they are so numerous and so wide-ranging. The sins are so vast that they've heaped up to heaven before God himself. The word picture here can't be overlooked. There's this stinking pile of sin that is built up over time as Babylon has decided to be sinful and disobedient. And now God remembers her iniquities. Now, does that mean that God forgot about Babylon's iniquities? No, no, it does not. God does not forget things like that, He does not let them go unpunished. But typically in Scripture, when we see God remembering something, it's followed by an action. So when God remembers His people, He typically works on their behalf. And when God remembers sin, He acts in judgment. Now, that's not to say that God had ever forgotten about Babylon's sin. Remember, Derek showed us last week that the judgment comes in God's timing when He says so. So even though here at the end of time as we find ourselves in Revelation 18, even though there's been this long stretch of what seems like no punishment, that it makes it seem as if there would be no judgment, God never forgets the iniquities that have, been, uh, that have been committed by those who are his enemies. And he puts all things right in the end. The sins that have been described throughout Revelation, and specifically here in chapter 17 and 18, are more than enough warrant for the judgment that God is now going to pour out. But the passage doesn't end there. The angel continues by saying, this judgment is warranted, but he then explains the judgment that's going to be poured out. Look at verses 6 through 8 pay her back he says as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury so give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart she says i sit as a queen i am no widow and mourning i shall never see for this reason her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire from mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. The final thing that we see in this passage is that the judgment of Babylon is just. The judgment of Babylon is just. Since the sins of Babylon have piled up to heaven, God will repay them back in like kind. God remembers Babylon's sin because he is just and his justice will be worked out. We believe that God is a just God. And this is a situation here, honestly, where the saying, the punishment fits the crime, serves well. He says, pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And what we find in verses 6 through 8 is really a legal sentence that's pronounced by God on Babylon. We find both the verdict and the sentence for the crimes expressed in these verses. And we see that God will pay her back for the sins that she has committed. It's in two parts. First, we see the severity of the sentence described. Number one, she will be paid back as she has paid back others. The evil that she has done to others will be turned back onto her, onto Babylon. But then the next phrase goes a step further to say, she will be repaid double for what she has done. Now, we could look at that and say, well, my goodness, God. I mean, she's being punished. You don't have to keep it on, right? Well, most scholars would agree that this is not God being Unjust or heavy-handed in his punishment, but rather the text is saying that the repayment for Babylon's sins will be full and complete. She will be completely repaid for the sin that she has committed. And then the final two verses here give us a clearer picture of how justice is being dealt out by God. We see in verse 7 that the fundamental sin of Babylon is her glorifying herself instead of giving glory to the one true God. She refuses to give thanks or praise God and worships the creature rather than the creator. And those who seek their own glory in this life will not only lose that glory in the life to come, but will also face judgment from God. Babylon has lived a sensuous and luxurious lifestyle. And this self-centered greed that characterizes the life of Babylon is the exact opposite of the holiness that's expected of us as followers of Christ. In fact, it has led Babylon to be filled with pride to the point of delusion, thinking that judgment will never fall on her. Look at what she says there at the end of verse 7. She says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. She is so filled with pride and hubris that she's convinced she will never face punishment for her behavior. And unfortunately, we fall into that same trap sometimes to think, well, this is not that bad. I'm not, I mean, I'm not gonna get in trouble for this thing that I've done, right? Am I the only one who's ever thought that in this room? Okay, I'm gonna judge by your smiles that I'm not. But that's who we are as humans. We fall into this temptation that we think, well, I can get away with this thing, right? And unfortunately, this passage is saying, no, no, you won't. This pride that Babylon has will be her end. No one and no thing can prevent her certain destruction. In fact, verse 8 says that in a single day, her confidence will vanish as plagues descend upon her. The plagues of death and mourning and famine will overtake her in her pride very suddenly, Very suddenly, in an instant, the great prostitute Babylon will be burned with fire and be destroyed. And this is possible because our God is mighty. God shows his lordship and his mighty power in personally judging Babylon. No one can triumph over him, no one can give themselves over to evil without facing God's wrath. God alone is mighty. And he alone is the sovereign judge over all. And so I want to ask us the question today, what do we do with this passage? How do we respond to this news today? Even though in this passage, evil is being defeated, this isn't really a happy passage, is it? So what do we do with it? Well, I want to read a quote to you from theologian Tom Schreiner. He writes about this passage. He says this, The judgment of the great prostitute functions as an exhortation to the church of Jesus Christ. We are to come out from the city of man and forsake its sins. John does not mean that we are to establish a segregated society in which we have no contact with unbelievers. The point is that believers are not to throw in their lot with those who have forsaken the true and living God. We, as believers, are to separate from the world, not by withdrawing from it, but by living a pure and holy life in front of it. We are to be in this world, as Jesus taught us, but not of it. If we belong to the Babylon's of the world, we will not escape the just judgment of God. Tom Schreiner's right in that We are called out from the world. But that does not mean that we disconnect ourselves from the world in a way that we have no impact on the world. Does that make sense? That we don't just hole up in our holy huddles and say, good luck out there, sinners. No. We say, I can't be a part of that because I follow a God who's holy and mighty and I'm going to live a holy life for Him. So... I would encourage you to hear this passage both as an encouragement and as a challenge. God has called and God is calling out believers from the sinful system of the world. While we can hear the call, there's still time to respond. So here's the encouragement. Live a life of holiness in front of a watching world. Live a life that exemplifies the goodness of God to those around you. Follow after God with all of your heart and live for His glory. You can commit to do that today. And here's the challenge. Don't fall for the lie of the Babylons of this world that what they offer is better than what God gives us in salvation. Don't fall for that lie. Because if we choose to listen to that lie of the enemy, then this passage is clear that we will face the same judgment that the enemy faces in the end. So let's choose today to follow after God and separate from the world, not by removing ourselves from it, but by living a life of faith and trust in the creator of the universe before it that glorifies God for all that he is and does. Let's live that kind of life. I challenge you to do that today. You can commit to do that today. I have an opportunity here in just a moment. We're gonna sing a song that says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. He's calling you, he's calling me. That we might live for his glory in front of a world that's watching us. And not that we would live in a way in front of that world that says it doesn't really matter how you live. But let's live a life that glorifies our Creator. Let's pray together. God, we trust you today. We trust that you are who you say you are. We trust that you'll do what you said you'll do. Just like we read here in this passage, God, that you will judge sin. There will come a point when... There will be a final offer of your grace. And God, I'm thankful that today we can still hear your call. We can still hear your offer of grace. And Lord, I pray that we would answer that call. Lord, I know that the thought could be, oh, well, that call of God's grace is just for those who aren't followers of Christ yet. No, God, I'm thankful that your grace is new every morning. You offer me grace today to live for today. You'll offer me grace tomorrow to live through tomorrow. And so I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room who says, I need that grace today, that they would come and they would ask for it. Not that I'm the one doling it out, but God, that they would recognize that they can't get through this life without you, that we need your grace to move through each and every day. Thank you for how you love us, Lord. Speak to us now. Work and move. We pray us in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and as you.